0: Welcome to Hope Beyond the Badge, a podcast that brings awareness, inspiration, and conversation together for first responders, families, and others interested in mental well-being in first response. New episodes weekly with your hosts, Jay Bailey and Linda Kokoros. Jay is a father. A military veteran, worked in the fire service for 18 years, and carries a diagnosis of PTSD. Linda is a mom, a wife, a certified life coach for first responders, and a suicide loss survivor of a first responder. Let's talk about it. Today we have in the studio with us a panel of retired first responders. Chief Russell Russell Jenkins of the Braintree Police Department, Chief Joe Davis of the Weymouth Fire Department, Captain Joe Compercio of the Weymouth Police Department. Gentlemen, we're honored to have you with us today to talk about your careers in first response and your experience in retirement. Please take a moment to introduce yourselves to our audience.
1: I'm Russell Jenkins, um, Braintree Police Department, retired on for 33 years. I'm married 48 years. I have uh, three children, five grandchildren, and one on the way. Congratulations.
2: Thank you.
3: Joe? Yes. I'm Joe Davis, uh, retired fire chief of the Weymouth Fire Department. I have 38 years of service in the Weymouth Fire Department. Uh, I went through all the ranks. I am also an elected member of the Weymouth Retirement Board. I've done that for many years. Uh, I don't I'm not married. I don't have any children. I have a, a godson and adopted godchildren that are all basically grown right now. Uh, I enjoyed my job while I was there and I enjoy the retirement board of helping people that hasn't left me and it will always be with me.
2: Still a man of service sir.
4: Good evening. Good My evening. Name, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> My name is uh, Joe Comperchio. I'm a retired captain with the Weymouth Police Department. Uh, I spent about 33 and a half years with the agency. I'm married uh, with three children. I uh, did uh, 10 years in the Army National Guard, and um, I enjoyed every single day uh, at work. And it's a pleasure being here t- tonight.
2: Well, thank you, gentlemen, for coming in and, and, you know, we're honoured. We're honoured, really, truly are honoured to have you uh, all here tonight. But I was just ro- writing down your years of service as I'm writing it down and as I can, I can see, is that total between the three of you, you have over 105 years of service um, between... That's a, a lot of years, right, when you add them all up together, divided by three. A lot of years, a lot of experience, a lot of... Um, uh, how would you say selfless service um to your communities that you served in and um and also you know your families right um so we want to get into it guys um chief um whoever wants to go first if tell us a little bit we go back into the beginning of your like of your service um like wanting to become a police officer or firefighter um was that something that you always wanted to do? Can we go back there? Like, was that something who inspired you? Was it, was it something that you always wanted to do? Who wants to
1: go first? Speaking okay, for, my, Chief. for myself, uh, Yes, I always wanted to be a police officer from, my, from a young age. Um, and I worked towards that goal. I got a job early in my career as a um, security guard at, at a shopping mall. And uh, went to college, got my degree in criminal justice. Worked for an, as another security company after that and I went to uh I was a police officer at Harvard University for a year and a half before I got picked up in Braintree. So it's something I always wanted to do and I worked towards that goal.
2: Mm-hmm. So did you always were you always a police officer in Braintree?
1: Uh from eighty three on, right.
2: Wow. Wow. So all in all the thirty three years were spent in Braintree P D?
1: Right, with a year and a half before that in Harvard.
2: In Harvard? Yeah. Good for you. Wow, it was a lot of, a lot of uh, experience in, in that one department. Oh, we'll go through all those years with you. Joe, do you want to share with us?
3: Uh, when I was a young child, my father was a firefighter. Mm. My grandfather was a police officer. Uh, at Lunchtime when my father worked, they worked on all s- uh, schedules, 72 hours a week. So you really didn't see him. But we used to bring his lunch up to him every day that he worked. My mother put it in a brown bag. We didn't live that far from the fire station, and we went up to mm-hmm. the fire station to give him his sandwich, his lunch. Mm. And uh, the big thrill for me was getting a ride in the truck, backing it in the station. They had uh. cleaned everything off. And it just kind of grew on me. Yeah, that That's what I wanted to do. And I saw him, and it was an honorable profession, except for the amount of hours he worked. Like I say, we didn't see him that much. Yeah, My grandfather was a beat cop. I never knew him. He passed away before I was born.
2: So so first responses in your family, yeah. for sure. And it, it sounds like your dad was your inspiration. You wanted to be like him, right? You saw him in the uniform, in the big red trucks, right? And yeah. and that's something that was sort of a given that you were going to go into. Oh, Thank you for sharing that. How about yourself, Joe? There's two Joes here, so I'm going to, I don't know how I'm going to, well, I, I'm the younger. I'm going to say captain I'm and the, chief. I'm the
4: younger Joe. Okay. <laughs> you talked about 105 years of service. We're not that old.
2: Oh, between all of you, yeah, I know. Between but it's all, still you. not that old. <laughs>
4: Even the chief over here is a young man. So yes, you are That's young right. man. You got that right, Joe. Yeah, you <laughs> you're. You're all you know, young men. So my career started a little uh, differently. Um. <clears throat> I started off. Um, in high school, it, I was um, always drawn to the military. So my, my goal was actually to go that route. Um, <clears throat> we didn't come, I didn't come from an affluent family whatsoever. Uh, we struggled financially. So I, I, I've i always thought maybe going to the service made me better myself a little bit. So mm. so when I went to boot camp, I, I signed up for the National Guard. And I was thinking, oh, maybe, you know, I'll go to college um, so I decided to go that route and have the guide pay for my college and so forth. So, yeah. I was able to obtain my master's degree that way there. So, but while I was um, during the first year in the National Guard, I, I, you know, I was really thinking about just joining full time. Um, I did some time over in Germany, um, and um, when I got back, I said, "Well, you know, the police exam is coming up. I'll take it." And just on a whim, I went, mm. took it. Uh, And about two months later, I got called. So uh, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, I was able to put, um, you know, all my kids through school. Um, I was able to work hard and have a nice life, um, which I'm very fortunate of. Yeah. But it wasn't easy in my career. Unfortunately, uh, in the first two years of the job, I got laid off. Um, Wow. Yeah, so I actually had to go to the unemployment line and uh go through that process laid
2: off from the police department i did yeah wow yeah
4: um i was fortunate though uh the town of hingham and uh chief borowski hired me and um i was able to further my police experience until weymouth called me back uh, but at that time you know uh, hingham was a great organization to work for uh they didn't have the quinn Bill, which is a financial assistance uh for your education so and i'm coming back to weymouth and uh, mm. Said I might as well start studying, and I did. And I got promoted young, and um, I, I loved every minute of it. Yeah, and so it moved, moved were, up the ranks quickly.
2: Were you were you from the Weymouth? Did you live in Weymouth? So I was born in Boston. Um, okay,
4: spent two years there, and then we moved to Quincy. Then at age I think it was eleven or twelve, we moved to Weymouth.
2: Right, so, so that's so why that's the yeah. way, why you wanted to come back to Weymouth.
5: Yes, exactly. You, you were from here. Yeah, from here. I don't
2: yeah. See. How about yourself, Joe? Are you from Weymouth no, also?
3: I'm, I'm from the city of Newton. From Newton. It's, it's a long jump from Newton to Weymouth. Yeah. During that time, there were court cases out uh, where these lists for fire and police were tied up in court. And the only job that you could get was a temporary job, all right, until the court cases were settled. And this was in the early 1970s. I had taken a couple of exams. And my father said to me, was a probationary job. He says, do not take a probationary job. You could be out on your ear in about a year, once you think you're in there, yeah. if the court case goes the wrong way. Take a permanent job. Don't accept the other one. I took yeah. one job in the town of Brookline, and I had to resign from there because the chief told me it was permanent. He called me back and said, I apologize. It's not permanent. So, And you said...
2: My dad told me to get not accept that, so I have to go. <laughs>
3: Weymouth was the only one that was permanent. And wow! Got the job. He said, "Go in the civil service, put your name in. Weymouth is looking for one more guy."
2: Wow! So you got hired. I got hired. Wow! Wow, that's my And chief, are you? Are, you're in Braintree, right?
1: Most of my life is in Braintree. Yes. Yeah. And uh, when I got married, I told my wife that we have to stay in Braintree because I want to be branch police officer. Yeah. And that's how they do the hiring is, home rule preference. So, my best chance to be police officer was in my hometown. Yeah, which is where I wanted to serve in the first place. Anyway. Yeah. So we stayed here in Branchy. So almost all my life I've been here.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you guys for sharing that. So now that you're in the the the. You're in your departments, right? Where you're hired, say we're going to land you and we're going to land you mm. off Joe in in Weymouth, right? Because that was sort of your your full time permanent career, right? Where where that started. Um, so young guy, was it when you got into the departments and you're working and you're you're already there and you're got your feet wet a little bit? Was it what you expected? Um, like as a first responder, like going out, putting out fires, right, as a fireman?
3: There was something new every day, from fires, the first aid, the automobile crashes, mm. cutting people mm-hmm. out of cars on a Friday night or Saturday night, and, mm. and everything was different. Yeah. Every time, it, was, it wasn't the same. Were you
2: prepared for that? Everything different? Like, well, as a firefighter, you think you're going to be putting out fires, right? right?
3: But when you're new, you, you, you're just you going along, and hopefully yeah. the senior person with you was showing you the right way. Yeah. And from their experience, yeah. But, but you learn from that.
2: You learn from that, absolutely. How about yourselves, guys? Um, Chief Ch- Chief Jenkins, um, yourself when you got on the the police department, was that what you were expect what you expected? Like when your first, do you remember your first days on the job? No. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm share my, with I'm us. I my,
1: my first tra- my train officer and spending a a couple weeks with him, learning the the ropes, so to speak. And yeah. Um, it was what I expect. I think. I mean, I had some experience prior to that as far as um, my involvement with the town and the department through my perv- previous job. Yeah. So it was um, nothing um, extraordinary, I don't think. But it was still, you know, I, I remember you know, I, I was a special police officer before I became a police officer. I had the badge, had the gun. But I remember when I put that, that branch police badge on my chest and mm. was in that, that branch police cruiser, it was just a, a huge thrill. It was like, this is great. You know, yeah. I couldn't believe I was finally doing I'm it. I'm finally here, yeah, here doing finally, it. Yeah. I finally had my dream come true. Yeah. And, and um, it was, it was great. It was a great feeling. Um, I had a great uh, train officer and um, I learned a lot th- those first few weeks and obviously uh, the months to come and um, you know, I was the new guy in the block obviously and uh, guys took, took me under to their wings and, and, and they helped me out. Uh, I would respond to call. They'd, yeah, they'd be there with me, and they'd be guiding me along, yeah. and and help me with whatever problem I may encounter. So it was it was a great experience, great learning experience. Um, no real surprises, but it was just I mean, again, every day was different. It's, it's just a great job. It's just a, yeah, it, it, it's that that five star ride on on the on the uh, roller coaster. You know, it's a great ride grade.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Joe um, Captain. Um, how about yourself? Do you remember your first day in the job, uh, I those do. first couple of weeks?
4: Yeah. In, uh, Think back now, Joe. <laughs> it was very exciting. Oh, <laughs> wow. <Whoa>. Oh, <yeah.
2: laughs> <laughs>
5: I can't swear on this thing. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah you can. <laughs> so it's funny. I, uh,
4: I love the job. Oh, God. I wrote tickets, locked people up all the time. Um, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> it's great and all. But over the years, you learn that uh, that's not what the job is about. Right. You know, you try as you know, you try to make your community a better place by doing all the things that you're supposed to do: make arrests, write citations, you know, tell people what to do as yeah. far as you know road responsibility. And um, totally different. Yeah. You know, because um, in reality, uh, it, there's, as much as you try to help someone, there are some people that are you can't help. Yeah. And um, as much as you try. Um, you know, I, at one point, I really, I changed my philosophy of policing. Um, I was more trying to talk to people and help people and lock people up. Yeah. Uh, as much as I loved writing tickets and locking people up in the court time and the money for that. Yeah. Um, I realized that that's not really the job. Right. Um, but it's hard as a young kid coming in at 21 and a half. You're coming onto the job and you want to try to solve all the problems of society. And, right. In reality, you can't,
2: yeah, I, I've heard you know. that before from some other like officers, uh, police officers specifically, like coming out of the academy, right? And and you know, the first couple of weeks on the job, ready, eager, right, to get out on the road and like thinking, mm, I'm going to save the world, bring on the mafia, bring on the serial killers, we're going to catch them, you know, that type of way. And the same with the fire, like guys, like. We're, we're, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to save the world. And um, you realize very quickly that, you know, that's not really what it is. Like when you have to go to maybe possibly your first accident where no, and it's, uh, it's a fatality.
4: You know, you learn everything in the academy, but you've got to relearn while you're out in the street. You know, mm. it's, it's a totally different experience. Yeah. And uh, like Joe uh, was saying and Russ was saying, you know, the calls that you go to are different all the time. Right? Mm. And. You never know what you're going to come across. Yeah, mm-hmm. and your know, life is always in danger, um, and you always try to train for that. So yeah, um, so you know that was in the back of my mind also.
2: Yeah, uh, can mm-hmm. I can I want to continue on with you though while you while yeah. you have the microphone there. Um, we start to share microphones here. Um, this evening because we have a panel in with us. Um, but while you have the microphone on you, Joe, you said, um. That changes you. That changes over the years. Can you share with us a little bit about that? Be sp- a little uh, bit more I, specific. I can give you
4: two, sp- uh, two instances that really uh, changed. Um, you know, in my ninth year of my job, I was involved in a critical incident in which I had to shoot someone. Someone tried to kill me. So um, mm. I had to shoot the guy. Mm. And um, living with it afterwards was a different experience. Um, again, with the training, I was able to p- defend myself. Yeah. Um, but you know you can't describe to someone the feeling of, uh, of shooting someone and possibly taking someone's life
2: yeah what effects did it have on you
4: well i was okay with the shooting mm-hmm. um what happens to you what happened to me anyways is that, you know you still think about it on a daily basis right mm-hmm. and you try to talk about it with people mm-hmm. but they don't understand what you've been through yeah. Uh, so that was a little difficult at first. So um, when I was teaching at the police academies, I tried to teach them how you would feel in a critical incident, depending what the incident is. Um, but that kind of changed me also.
0: Well, I guess I'm just wondering, uh, for you gentlemen as well, like, was there a first incident that, that kind of shook you, right? We're, we're talking about the perspective of someone that's new on the job as a police officer or a firefighter, how exciting is it, it is. And I mean, this is hope on the badge, right? We often talk about, we talk about trauma and the way that that can impact first responders. And I'm wondering, um, I don't know if that was your first, but it's, it's, it's a clear example, right? Uh, do either of you have a first experience on the job that made you step back and, you know, that wow moment like, all right, this is real, and maybe even uh, have a feeling of being impacted by trauma?
3: It, like Joe said, you learn the basics of the job, but when you get out on the street, yeah, it's different. It's altogether different. That's a case of survival, you and your team. Mm-hmm. You work as a team. Yeah. And, you know, first fire I went to, my heart was going <coughs> thumping. Everybody was scared. If they said they weren't scared, they were lying. Yep. You get in that truck and out the door you go, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and you come to a fire. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's going on. The officer is guiding you. He's telling you, okay, you work with this guy. You work in pairs in a team, all right? And you watch this guy's back, and he watches your back if something happens.
2: Glad that
3: you're sorry, glad that you're
2: um you're sort of taking us through that right because a lot of us as civilians don't you know know what the whole setup is, so now you're explaining it to us right you work as a team you don't you don't go in as a as a single person you're going as a team you're gonna be watching each other's back and also the officer is guiding you. Thank you for sharing that with us because, yeah, a lot of us don't know, like, what you as first responders, you know, have to do, right, as far as guidelines to protect each other to be safe. Take us, continue to take us on that journey.
5: Well,
3: it, you know, if it's a fire, I, I went in with the other, uh, what we call the nozzleman. There's a nozzleman and a hydrant man. the junior person is a hydrant man that makes the hydrant. Mm. But when you're there at the fire, there's both either go in, you have an air pack on that you're breathing with. Mm. And you're trying to locate the fire. Okay? And, and you're hoping that there's no one in there. Of course, a lot of people say when they get there, oh, I think there's somebody in there.
2: So, what do you guys do to, well, to, we to s- confirm that?
3: We, you have to end up checking. Yeah. You know, if, if the fire is not completely raging, you're going to have to go in and crawl. With your partner and feel to see if there's somebody in there.
2: Yeah.
3: Checking, like, bedrooms and things like that, especially small children. They could be in a crib or anything.
2: Yeah. So you have to check nearly every corner, right? Every
3: corner. you got to get them out of there.
2: Closets and everything? Do you have to open closets Closets and stuff?
3: Kids seem to hide in closets or Mm. under beds. Yeah. or, Or toy boxes, anything like that. Yeah. So you have to thoroughly, they call it a primary search. You do a primary search inside. If the fire was knocked down, then the officer would come and say, I want a secondary search. You have a different group of people yeah. to come in to do the search. Yeah. Uh, just to make sure that there's no one in there. So it's double-checking, basically,
2: right. right? Cross-check. Cross-check is right. Cross-checking, yeah. Um, I love I love that you're sharing that with us because, you know, you're after painting a picture on my head of fir- firemen going in with all the heavy equipment, on you and, you know, the, the big jackets and the big padded things on you and helmets and oxygen and all that, and you're crawling down on the floor, um you know, searching um, for people uh, in a home. I mean, that has to be difficult.
3: You can't see in front of you. Okay. I mean, you're there sure. and you're, you're, hoping, you're hoping to see an orange glow where the fire is and you say, oh, my God, we got the fire, open the nozzle and let's put the water on the fire to knock it down. Yeah, all you can feel is heat. Yeah. Heat on your face, heat on your neck. And
0: yeah, well, I I had the absolute privilege of of working for for Chief Davis, and I learned a lot from from him and from his generation. And that for me, that was one of the first moments that's kind of indescribable about the job. Like you watch you know a movie about firefighters or whatever, and and they they can't depict uh, or present. Conditions of being in a fire. We we fight fires. It's an aggressive interior attack. We go in the building, and you can't see your hand in front of your face, like right. the chief says. And nothing prepares you, uh, you know, for for having your senses dulled or changed like that. And what you have to do, uh, well, I wouldn't say nothing. What does prepare you is is the men and women that come before you, and and they, you know, they they train you up when you come out of the, you know, you learn in the academy, and then you get to the job and and you learn. Who's on your team and who's doing what and, and who to trust, and how to move around in that environment to to you know save property, save people, protect yourself, and uh, you know hopefully if there's somebody in the building that needs to be saved, you're able you're able to do it. Um, but yeah, it's quite an experience that first time. You're on your hands and knees. Feeling that indescribable heat, you can't see anything, and you're like, "Whoa, what did they? What
3: the hell did I get myself into?" Yeah, yeah. You know, everybody's running out, and you're running in. Yeah, that doesn't make much sense, you know. Yeah, but you got a job to do, and you do it. Yep.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and while I wasn't prepared for that, I, I did it. I knew we were going to be fighting fires. The the medical calls and the other elements of the job that you touched on that. I don't think I realized before I was in the job the the level of um, or or sort of the spectrum of of calls that we all go to. Yeah. Um, how about how about you, Chief? Was there a call, a first call that you can remember that changed your perspective of the job, or maybe involved some trauma and uh, had an impact on you?
1: I can't even I, I, a single call. I just remember that, truthfully, I, I was like Joe. I was kind of like that that hard charge guy. Um, I loved police work. Uh, write the tickets make the arrests um but then as i promo- got promoted and, and now i'm a lieutenant and i'm in the booking room and and now a guy's being brought in to me to be processed and and they're all amped up still yeah and I'm now'm I'm, I'm trying to de-escalate the whole situation I'm also thinking too you know these kids here that I've got kids their age they, they may be not friends of my kids but they may be in the same school, or they may know them or something. And yeah, and I don't want I don't want this person to um, walk with me, thinking that hey, that guy jinx, he's a real sob. Yeah. So it kind of made me. I guess being a parent now, it was my big change. I'm a parent, and I'm thinking, you know, there's another side of this whole thing, and it's a little bit more compassion, a little bit more trying to deal with not their problems, but Maybe de-escalate the whole situation, not be that not be that that um, S will that they were expecting a counter, mm. and, and just try to I, again be a little bit more compassionate, but by by the same time not you know see, but be, be firm still, yeah. and, and, and 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 still be authoritative, but not not being that that hard charge guy, mm. just kind of like back off a little bit, mm. maybe listen a little bit more. And I think again, it comes to age too. You, as you get as you get older, your your whole things change. You know, you you realize, like like Joe said, that that, that I, I don't have the right to write a money fine for every violation. You know, we're trying to educate people. The the warning is as good as a the ticket. They're still going to learn. That we're still going to impact our traffic situation, our active situation. Mm. We don't have to always arrest someone. Maybe we can find some alternative to that. Um, And, 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 you know, there's there's family issues and whatnot that maybe we can help them with a little bit. So Mm. it it did change quite a bit.
2: Yeah, yeah. It sounds like that you wanted to be, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you wanted to be some sort of like um, a, a role model or a mentor to, you know, other officers or younger officers coming in there, especially like you said. I didn't want to be that SOB, right, to the other officers who were after coming in from whatever, call, right? Um, to be able to guide them in the right direction and sort of um help them out a little bit.
1: I try to be like that person. I did. And, and um, I, I also know that they talk about trauma. I didn't have, like, trauma to deal with, but I tried to be that guy that was there for their problems. You know, so mm. we all have problems. We all come to pro- work with problems. Mm. And, and I want to be that guy that, that someone will come to and say, Hey, I have an issue. Mm. Can you help me out? Or can yeah. can we do something? Yeah. I, I want the guys to be comfortable coming to me with their problems and not be afraid to approach yeah. me, that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that was that also like that, so when you became chief in, in Braintree?
1: Even but, more so. Even more yeah, so? Even more so. My, door, my door's always open.
2: Oh, yeah, I love that. Tell me a little bit about that. I just got a little bit goosebumps when you said that, my door's always open. Oh, I love it,
1: to it, hear it's, that. It's, it's funny because I, I didn't realize how much how much power I had. I mean, I would I would call the front desk and I'd say, hey, have, uh, have a source door come see me. And they'd come in, they'd be like, what did I do? <laughs> that was your first response. What did I do? Like getting called to the principal's <laughs> office? Exactly correct. The chief <laughs> called me in. I'm in trouble. What did I do? And that wasn't it at all. You know, so um, yeah, I, I I I spent more time. I'd, I'd leave the station. I'd leave my office at a particular time of the day. It would take me twenty minutes or half an hour to get out the door. So I'd, I'd walk out my office. I'd walk down the hallway out to the out to the, to the back door. I'd be getting stopped by this guy by that guy. With, with hey this hey that whatever, I'd have I'd be telling guys I'm I'm going to meeting I'm I'm running late. Hey walk with me as I walk to my car. Yeah 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 so, yeah I I try to be a guy that was approachable. Yeah I, I never wanted someone to say that they couldn't they couldn't come to me and and talk to me. I didn't I, I didn't want that 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 I, I, again, that that closed to a policy that yeah um untouchable mo untouchable type of mentality. Yeah if you have an issue come to me if you have a thought a problem a concern an idea. Yeah, come talk to me.
2: Yeah, I love that because um, there's nothing. I mean, that's where we want to get back into, right? Within departments, is there is departments that and and not everyone was like your department when you were running it, right? With an open door policy, I can, I'm comfortable knocking on Chief Jenkins' door saying, "I ha- I have an issue going on and I need some help." And th- th- it doesn't happen my all the time, first, right?
1: My first chief hid behind the closed door. Yeah. My first chief did, yeah. Well, what, did that, what
2: was that feeling like for you, then? Well, like was, none. there was well, a closed-door well, policy. He, just,
1: he, was, he, was, he was, again, he was like, you uh, hmm. just didn't have contact with him. He, just, he was just uh, a phantom, you know? Yeah. He came, he came in the back door to his office and left the back door to his office. You never saw him.
2: Right. And I suppose if he got called to his office, you were in trouble. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Joe, you want to chime in there?
4: Yeah. The, this one thing I want to echo with uh, Chief Jenkins was saying, you know, <clears throat> My experience moving up the ranks, uh, I was always a road guy, sergeant on the road, lieutenant on the road, um, booking prisoners and so forth. I always liked to be in the uniform. Yeah. Um, but was funny, though, when I got promoted to captain, and, and I was a union guy. I was a union president, superior officers unit, patrol unit. Um, when I got upstairs, you know, into the office um, – what was funny is when you called someone in, the first response is, do I need union representation? Wow. I'm like, same I, thing. I, yeah. You can't even have a conversation with someone, and they're wondering if they need union, com- you know. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I just want to have a conversation with someone. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that took a while for me to get used to, you yeah. know, and I'm like, no, I'm not here to reprimand you. I just want to talk to you. Yeah. You know, because I've always been kind of an open to a policy like the chief. I, yeah. I want to talk. Yeah. You know, how do we make things better? Let's talk. And uh, yeah union representation, and I'm like, okay, (laughs) no, I don't need it.
2: So how did you, how did you, how were you, uh, when you became captain, that's very interesting to sort of hear that sort of side of it. Um, You know, well, do I need union representation here, right? How were you able to change that then? Were, Were you able to feel like, you obviously had to build belief and trust with whoever you were calling in to have a chat with, right? Did it change well, th- over time,
4: I guess what happened was is they thought I changed um, when you go up to the office. And, you know, I already had the trust of the organization. Yeah. So I would still go to roll calls. I would talk to them and everything. But once you get up, there's something about when you get up to that office upstairs, mm. we'll call it upstairs. Um,
1: you were down back. Or down
4: back, <laughs> right? You were down back. So, down back. so down back. there was always that, oh, I'm going upstairs. And I'm like, why does it have to be this way? Mm. You you know what I mean? We're supposed to be working together. Yes. Um, And I've always had that mentality. You know, there are times where you have to, you know, discipline. Discipline, right. uh, I was always one of, like, let's talk and communicate. I mean, that's how we get things done. It was a little bit of a change uh, for me on that aspect. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And do you think that it also changed, like, uh, the confidence buildup in the men and women in the department? If I mean, being captain, you also had to supervise, right, a lot of, down the ranks, right?
4: So I think the advantage that I had is I was always a road guy. Mm. So they, in, meaning they I him. was in uniform, I was always there for backup. I was always there helping them. Um, you know, I think they trusted that aspect of it. Yeah. But I think once you know, I made captain, it like it, it almost like separated, and I'm like it didn't have to separate. I just went up two flights of stairs. Yeah. That that, that was it.
2: Well, I think that comes from. Um, Possibly, um, I, I don't know, but it probably comes from what it sounds like or feels like is it comes from previous promotions, right? Moving up the, um, moving up the um, ranks or moving up the stairs um, that because of that, some ego, you know, got in the way and um, personalities could have changed previously from what they saw. So naturally, if that happened before, they were like, oh, this is going to happen again, right? Until you had to be able to you know, foster that belief that, no, I'm still the same person, right? I just have to do my job, and I'm also responsible of reporting to whoever else is hired than me, right? I have, I have to answer to someone, too. Yeah, yeah.
4: I think, uh, you know, I've always been the type of <laughs> firm but fair. Mm. I mean, I think that's yeah. the way you know what I mean? I, there are well, let's be my
2: interaction with you.
4: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, there are times you have to, you know, turn the hat on. You know, what yeah. I mean? you could turn the hat around and be the boss. And yeah. But the majority of times you don't need to need to turn the hat around. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. I got guys come down back. But I give them candy. <laughs> I, 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 you were I,
2: going to give them
1: candy. I had I had an M&M dispenser in my office on my desk, and I also had a couple of dishes of candy. Well, I got your beat. And, and, uh, and they call them truth pills. So I Tut- had
4: espresso and biscottis every really? Friday with some well, of I, my guys. Well,
1: I had every day they're on my desk. So the candy and
2: the biscotti the, is what yeah. won them over, yeah. do you think? And the I, I'd have, I'd have An guys, espresso. And
1: when, espresso? When, when they had their kids come over to visit them, they'd bring me, hey, come on down back to the chief. They'd bring their kids down back to see me uh, and get their candy. So that's how we won them over. Oh, awesome, Chief!
2: I have to ask you a question. Then seems you're putting that out there. You know where the kids would come down and see me. Well, did, did did you make it a point, like just because you wanted to? I'm sure what I'm feeling from you is that you're a chief that the officers that you were familiar with. I mean, the to Police Department is a big department, right? I don't have many
1: hundred people. Above uh, off- hundred. Total between in and playing, and sworn about about 100 people, yeah.
2: About 100 people. And I'm sure that, like, the officers that you've interacted with, you probably knew their kids' names.
1: Some of them, not all of them. They had too, yeah. ma- too many. Yeah. I don't know my own kids' names sometimes. I mix yeah. up those guys sometimes, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, just to ask them. It's not it to, it knew, knew, to knew, like, yeah. I knew, I knew some of them, and, and I always made a point to ask... I mean, How's your kids I, doing? How, how the kids doing? Yeah. And, and, and some kids I knew, like... Uh, like one kid, he was a hockey player. I'd ask about you know, how's the hockey going, that sort yeah. of thing. So if I knew, if I knew something about the kids, I would ask them. Yeah. But believe me, it, w- it was it was it uh, it was not uh, a vast uh, database, if we will. You know, yeah, yeah, I'm, absolutely. I'm, I'm bad with names, too, truthfully. So, but yeah, I, I tried, but they came down, and and, and um, and, and I actually had to had some requests. So I had to get some. Uh, I forget what the name was. Some kind of special candidate. I didn't have it. So I had to go out and buy it because they, they were one this particular thing that was very popular with the kids. So I had that stashed away in a separate place there, so I could so they could have that for when that when yeah, that person came in. When it came oh, that's in, so yeah. cute. Cool. Yeah,
2: that's awesome, Joe. I, I want to get back to you um, when you were talking about those fires, right? Um, earlier on, um, we didn't start to get into our touch. Like, was over the years, was there um, you know those a call or multiple calls that you know you pushed down. Um, over the years, and you got a call, and, and it sort of overflowed, or, or you remember?
3: Yeah, you, you could go from one call to the next call. Yeah. The next call. They may not all be fires, automobile accidents, especially the medicals now yep. going with the crews, uh, the expressway, cars off the road, people trapped in the cars. Mm. At the same time, we're getting calls in for building fire. Gotta make sure fire alarm is 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 on board with that to start calling yeah. mutual aid to take care of that other stuff. Yeah, it's just one after another, but it does build up on you. Yeah, especially that short period of time. Not yeah. just me, the whole crews that are there.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So, so how do you deal with that? How do you deal with going from one to the one to one to one to it's another to another? Catch up with you. Yeah. So, so tell have, me how you d- ha- dealt with well,
3: that. We this got bad when. One shift, and they're able to call in the Boston team that goes throughout the whole state. The firefighting team that deals with stress,
2: mm, okay. like SISM, right?
3: Right, and it's all confidential. Mm. They'll come in if you don't. If you're there and you don't want anything to do with it, you don't have to. Yeah, you can go into one main room, and a group of maybe three or four firefighters that are trained in this will come out and talk to you what's better than having somebody in your own business talk to you? Because they know. They've yeah. been through it. Yeah. And it's completely open. And they'll ask you questions, and if you want to talk about it, you can talk about it. You want yeah. to talk about it to relieve some of the stress. Right. And it does work. And if there's somebody there that needs, they figure needs more help, there is, they will recommend somebody to see a professional yeah. That the person can, or persons can go and see.
2: Yeah. Is that available in all departments in police well, and police yes, and fire?
3: It is from the fire department. Yeah. Uh, the state run- actually is in touch with Boston. Boston is not the only one. I think there's another one out in Worcester. But it's a team, and these people are dedicated. And I know this Boston team went to Worcester for a couple of the deaths up there.
2: Yeah. And so it'd be like a peer support team. Yes but th- that professionally deal with they're, they're crisis stress crisis right
3: right they're highly trained yeah and yeah they can deal with it yeah uh, it's, uh, i think it's a great thing
2: yeah have you ever have you ever been able to um like do you remember those a call that you were on that you were like stayed with you for a while
3: yeah there's you know through your career there's certain calls that don't leave you
2: mm you know. yeah Jay has talked about that before also, too, right? You know, remembering those calls or, or relating with you, maybe with a, a child, right? Um, You know, all those things because w- with your family, right? You're able to sort of relate it with your own. Joe, how about yourself?
3: Everybody's yeah has a family, so no matter where you go, you're going to run into something and it's a, Jesus, that could look like my little sister, mm. my mother, my aunt or something. Yeah. You know, we went to a, a fire we pulled up on a fire and there was a woman an elderly woman come out and she was a big woman and there was a gentleman holding her arm and she was severely burned her skin was hanging off of her arm and oh. that, that really touched me that, that was before we even got in the building wow she was trying to get a couch that was on fire out the door in the living room oh my goodness she, she was
2: trying to save the couch Ah.
3: But the neighbor was there, and he was fortunate enough to take her and gently walk her down the walkway. And the ambulance was coming in right behind
5: us.
2: Yeah, but yeah. These are these are things that don't leave you for a while, right? Oh. You'll always remember them. How um, how badly it can be, right? Um, and how, but also how it can have an effect on you yeah. um, afterwards, and how you're able to deal with it. Joe, do you want to get in chime in on that? Share with us about like what what um, Joe Davis right uh, Chief Davis shared with us about the SISM team and the critical incident. What's your I know you have a yeah. lot of experience right yeah. going through this past couple of years. If you want to take so, us through there,
4: yeah, I'll, I'll I'll touch upon it a little okay. bit. Um, you know, dealing with type of critical incidents, uh, it does have a profound effect on you, not only physically but mentally. Um, mm-hmm. When uh, my brother in law was killed uh, almost six years ago, I, um, you know, the stress of dealing with my sister in law and her, her two kids, um, you know, raising my own family, uh, helping my wife's parents out because they're elderly, um, it puts it put a lot of strain on me. Mm. And you know, I was offered, you know, that SISM team came out, and they were very good. Uh, they, they were excellent. Um, you know, but I, I kind of fluffed it off. Um, you know, you, you're, you want to say that you're in control of yourself and that you, uh, you're okay. You're going to be okay. You know what I mean? I'm here. I can deal with this. I got to take care of the family, Yeah. Uh, but I get, I will tell you personally, um, the death of my brother-in-law, um, a year later I started, well, it progressed. Um, uh, mm. I had a lot of Issues I was going through through myself. Mm. And it came to a point where I I realized um, I needed to get help. and um, Mm. It's something not to be embarrassed about, you know. uh, So glad you're saying that. Well, you know, I still. You still struggle. Well, I still, you know, you think you can't. I can't stop thinking about it, all right, because yeah. I, I deal with it on a daily basis. Yeah. And the stress of the trial um, had an adverse effect on my body physically. Um, and this trial now that's going on, that it, it's it's affected me, and I already know. I told my wife the other day, I, I need to go back and get some more help because I know I'm not right. Mm. But your body tells you when, yeah. you know, you don't want to believe – that you need the help, yeah. Um, but your body tells you, like, my insides are like a mess, mm-hmm. um, you know, the anger, um, my hands shake a lot, I, I yell a lot, and it's not the person that I am, Yeah. so I know I struggle.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, but, I, you know, I get out and exercise, and, and I try to do the right thing in that aspect, but still, it's something you can't let go. And, yeah. I, and to be honest with you, I you know, I... After that happened, I knew I wanted to retire at fifty five and I was grateful that I was at the latter part of my years um with that because I don't know if I could have gone any farther, yeah in my career, yeah honestly,
2: so I know it was it's like it's close to you, right um because your brother in law um you know passed um and then dealing with all the aftermath after even years later right six nearly six years later still going on right and dealing with every day but the initial time when I I just heard you there saying I'm going to be okay I need to deal with all of this and I need to be strong for everybody else and I need to fix everybody else to make sure they're okay I relate with you with that um, so much so Um, not to the enormity that you had to deal publicly with publicly right um, of having to deal with that but being the fixer I do relate with. Yeah. Um. You know, losing Alex five years ago um, was three months after Mike passed, and um, I remember being be taken on the role of fixing the family, fixing George, fixing Stacy, Chrissy, Francis, Ailish, um, because they were all struggling, and I knew that I had to be the strong one because otherwise everything was just going to fall apart, and um, so taking on that role was making sure everyone was okay, but I wasn't dealing with myself either, right? right? And uh, so I, I can relate with that enormously. And um, how I dealt with it was working, like totally emerging myself in here at work, like not coming home sometimes mm-hmm. till 8 or 9 o'clock at night. So I would go to bed, and I wouldn't have to um, face being... Um, If I if I if I exhausted myself so much I'd be able to sleep and and I wouldn't have to sort of give myself a minute of time to be thinking about the reality of what was after happening. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense to you? It
4: does, yeah. And that's why I think it took me a year to finally realize, you know, and and I you know, towards we used to have staff meetings and everything and you know, I I even addressed the union as a whole. Uh, I stood up and told them, you know, what I went through and, and it's nothing to be ashamed. Mm. Uh, to get help, and and I, I'm a firm believer. I've always, we we've, we've all of us here. We we've always dealt with critical incidents and trauma right?
2: every day. So
4: that has an adverse effect psychologically to your brain. All right, mm. it changes the person. I don't care what what you think you can handle. It changes you chemically in your brain. So I've always been a proponent. I try to talk to people, it, You know, and this may sound a little left-wing, but I think in our organizations, we we really need to get someone in to our organizations and actually, you know, let's have a checkup on the guys. Let's sit and talk with the guys to find out how they're doing. Because everyone will say, yeah, they're doing great, and, you know, you're five years on the job, you go to many, many calls that have critical incidents, and are you okay? I mean, we don't know, right? Right. And it only takes one incident for an officer to snap, right, or a firefighter to forget to do something uh, or sacrifices himself into a fire. I mean, we need help. And I think, me personally, I think it should be embedded in the police and fire departments that we need to get some help. Right. Uh, we need to have an ongoing process in which we can make sure we're able to talk to someone um, and able to clear our thoughts,
0: I couldn't agree more. Um, thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, and when you talk about the uh, the chemical changes in, in the brain, I'm not sure that's something everybody in first response is, is even aware of, right? And that's something that's that's for sure scientifically measurable. And sometimes people are experiencing it without even knowing. Um, I'm very sorry for what you and your family have gone through. I'm sorry for your loss, sir. And uh, when you talk about having a, a checkup and sort of changing the cultural awareness of, of how trauma impacts, impacts the brain, the body, the nervous system, um, what, do you, what do you think the change would be culturally? What do you think the benefits would be if, uh, if police officers, firefighters, EMS, if, if we all gained a better understanding of how our jobs impact us?
4: I don't know how my colleagues here feel, but I, you know, there's always going to be that person that's going to say, "I don't need it." Um, but I think if you portray it in a manner that is positive versus negative, yeah, and the benefits of a healthy life throughout your career, as you know we're well, we are susceptible of higher rates of suicide, yep. higher rates of alcoholism. <clears throat> Higher rates of divorce, right? Um, so why not try to get us help at a young age and a young career to make sure we are not one of those numbers? Yeah, right. I mean, it makes sense, but you know, it, it's very hard to talk about it because a lot of guys that don't want to talk about it, right? And I think we need to talk about it. I mean, and again, I, I'm not. It took me a while, all right, because I was like, i I can handle it, no worries, and I knew I couldn't handle it.
2: I was a different person, and I knew I couldn't handle it. Right. I just want to chime in on that um, because, you know, when you say that somebody, you know, some people, you know, don't want to talk about it. There's a reason why that they don't want to talk about it, and and that's the stigma. That's where the stigma comes in: either self-imposed stigma, or um, from what they've seen before maybe someone, um, you know, went out sick, right, or or got help. And and unfortunately, within the culture, from what I've learned from all these interviews, is that everybody knows everyone's business, right? And the reason why the guy doesn't want to talk about it is because he doesn't want someone knowing his business, right? He wants to keep his business to himself, in-house, that's it, in his own home, and no one else knows about it. But in the meanwhile... He's struggling really bad, and the family notice it when they go home. They're either drinking more heavily, or right when they come home, they're not participating in cooking dinner the way they used to be before. Isolating away from their families, they're not attending, um, you know, school sports or or the child's sports games, or or if they are they're not the way they used to be, right? They're not present in that moment. And I think that the sacrifice a lot of police officers and first firefighters, all first response is is they sacrifice part of themselves for the career, right? And and that sort of parts of them get lost in that. And and when they see um, you know, just say a group of firefighters going out on the on the call, right? Your team, as you said, right? And you're all team but that call hit you that call did something to you, but you're not saying anything because there was other people on that call with you and they seem to be okay and they're laughing and joking and doing all sorts of stuff when they go back to the station but I'm not that call didn't sit well with me and I need a minute and i I can't say anything about it because they're gonna think I'm weak and um and that's a sort of a self-imposed stigma but there's also another side of it where a first responder could have seen, Jay has heard me say this so many times, and I think it's appropriate, where a first responder had gone and gotten help and went to his administration or whatever um, to get help and and was supported through it, came back to work. And another guy is watching on and, and sees this guy coming back well. And he's, you know performing well on his job and he's doing great on his job and he's he's like, you know, I, I if if I see that happening well and guess what, I'm gonna be comfortable because I feel I believe that I'm gonna also be treated or, or be supported in that way. But there's also the other side. That if a, a a guy goes out and or seeks help and is not supported and does not know where to go and um Get help, and a guy is watching on, and sees this guy struggling, 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 struggling really bad. And he's and everyone's talking about him in the station and the whole thing and blah 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 blah. But no, no one is doing anything to help this guy. He's going to say, "I'm not going to go and seek help because guess what? I'm going to be treated the same."
3: If I may, yeah, what Joe had said, yeah, about getting help yeah having somebody there yeah. to provide help. yeah, but to have that available and put it in a policy within each department that this is available to someone and have somebody come in and talk to these guys mm. on a regular basis. yeah,
2: on a regular basis and not to be just I, what I wrote down when when uh, Captain Compercio was was talking, you know, have it be part of a normal, right? Mm-hmm. Not be just that check mark. That is something that we have to do because that's what we're required to do. And it's a check mark, a box checked off. But having a part of a normal, it, it creates a belief, right? Um, that in, in the culture, in the whole surroundings, that this is just part of our normal thing. Like the way you said, my door was always open. Your, your guys, your men and women knew that your door was always open. Right. Yes. And and as you said, you know the chief that I worked under. Now there was a closed door. He was like a phantom. We never even saw him. Right. It's a whole different environment that's created from the top down. So the the thing is is that making these things normal. What I know we we had Metro Lec in here. We had part of those SISM teams in here. We had Eddie O'Brien from Weymouth, and we had Christine Leiden from Braintree. Their team leaders on Metro Leck, right? And and they came in and, and they shared with us, you know, going from and this was going back in early September when we interviewed them, like going from the beginning of the year to August when they when they came in, it was the end of August when they came in, um, you know, they shared with us, she said, I did all the all the paperwork, like all the, the data and she says, I've had six hundred and fifty calls, one on one calls with force responders just from January, one-on-one calls. And she says, it's bad. It's bad, bad, bad. It's really bad. So a lot of people are struggling, right? A lot of people. And that's like coming from those SISM teams, right? So something needs to change, right? Something has to change within the culture to make it better for first responders to be able to go and seek help. And, um, and know... That It's okay, it's normal for you to have a human reaction to trauma That's your job, that's your duty, that's your job is is trauma every day right? Regardless of it's uh, uh, one call, you're picking up something from every call And it doesn't matter whether it's a big call or a small call You're picking up something and you're showing it back down there And I'll deal with that another time And the other time, it never gets to it until it overflows and then you're like, "I need help, so it would be nice, I mean, in their own you know situation as a family, you know what has led me or what guided me into getting into this whole space, so to speak, is because I want to prevent those guys, men and women, I'm using guys, but it's men and women right um to prevent them from getting to that crisis situation, right that they just don't know where to go. And their family is struggling and divorces, as you said, right, is high. Prevent them from getting that, that situation with education and, and let them know that it's okay to feel those emotions that you're feeling. It's normal for you to feel that. Now let's work with you to help you continue on your career, right? And and how can you get through 25 years of a long career Um healthy if you're not talking about it if you're not unloading that backpack you just can't there's no way it's going to overflow eventually and then we all want to get you through that career but we also want you to have a healthy retirement afterwards because you still have to process all that stuff that you've held onto for years some way right i don't know jay do you want to chime in
5: okay
2: uh yeah i mean i
0: think just in terms of, of this part of the conversation that we're having trauma in, in human beings, right? It's, it's certainly nothing new, even though we are seeing the conversation evolve. I mean, soldiers were coming back, and it, and it was uh, shell shock, and then it was battle fatigue, and now it's PTSD. There's been so many other names, but we can't deny that human beings do have reactions and responses to uh, their involvement or close proximity to traumatic uh, situations and events, and it also wasn't that long ago like along the the timeline of of humanity where if you were physically injured you would suck it up you would pretend that you weren't you know you got to you got to cough in the coal mine nobody wants to hear it get a canary and get back in there or somebody else gets the job and now we see that as ridiculous if you have a physical injury you go and you get treatment and and i applaud uh, you gentlemen, for, for what you're saying right now, and I couldn't uh, agree more. I mean, that's how we change the conversation. Saying, "Hey, I went and got help," and that's nothing to be embarrassed about, right? Yep. And and other people hear that, and uh, and it makes sense to them, especially those that that may or may not be having a difficult time uh, themselves, or they recognize that their coworker is, as Linda said, we normalize the conversation this way, and uh, I believe that's that's where it's going in terms of treating trauma in, in first response is, uh, eventually I hope, and, and I think for sure it should be normalized. There should be some kind of regular interaction with mental health professionals that are culturally competent, that know what they're doing and people can opt out, right? Nobody makes you go to the doctor, but as a culture, we have, we endorse it. The unions, the chiefs, everybody's on the same page. You, 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 broke your leg, you go get treatment. There's a process. You enter the healthcare care system, you get treated, we support you, and we expect you to return, um, and, and you're supported through that process. And eventually, through conversations uh, like the one that we're having here, through the evolution of, of mental health treatment and first response, along the lines of what you guys are, are, are talking about right now, that's, that's progress, and uh, certainly... Certainly where I hope to see it go, and I think everybody is better, will be better off for it. The, the, the departments on, on all levels, the communities that they serve, um, and, and for sure the, the first responders. Mm-hmm. Um, Chief, do you have any, any thoughts on it?
1: Well, I think it's, in fairness, I think we have come a long way. Yes. I, I think back to my, when I first came on the job, it was almost like um, just go home and come back tomorrow you come back to work the next day, you would be involved in a, a major event, you could be involved in a shooting or who knows what, and it was like, you just, we'll see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. No uh, offer of any counseling or support at all. Um, as a matter of fact, you were probably frowned upon if you made an issue about it. Yep. So we've come a very long way from, um, you know, 40 years ago to today where we, I, I think more and more, we, we see people like Christine's team, uh, seek out the problem. I mean, when they hear about a, a critical event happening locally, uh, they'll send people to that department to be there for that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that more and more um, we're getting, we are getting more aggressive in the way we do um, offer our services to people in need uh, and, and, and trying to destigmatize it. So I think again we have made a lot of progress. We need we need to go further. Um, we we do have those guys who, who will blow it off, and and unfortunately we have other guys who they they look down on it. It's, mm-hmm. it's one it's one thing to be involved in a situation and say I'm okay. It's another thing to to be to look down on the whole concept and say that's that's ridiculous. We don't need that. And there's still some of those guys out there too. Yeah. So we have to we have to we have to educate not only the guys who need it to accept it, but the guys who think it's a waste of time to realize the benefits of it. Yeah. Yes,
5: not only for them, but for their
1: families too. Exactly. Right? Like
2: the, the families are also, sorry, Jay, but the families are also going to benefit from that, right? Um, you know, when, when a first responder goes and actually eventually says, I need help, right? Um the families are going to benefit because if the first responder is struggling the family is struggling too absolutely for sure the whole family kids wife the whole the whole family and uh, and that's something that i've been very passionate about because that is something that we were missing on that education right uh, as a suicide in in our family right from a police officer that was missing um that education for our families um you know known what's what's ptsd like you just know that your your first responder is going out every day and he's trying to you know uh save his community and and you know save his family right and um go home and do his job and he wants to come home at the end of the day um little did we know that we were carrying he was carrying a lot of stuff in his backpack also right and and also some personal stuff which all adds up right in in some form of way but p t s d and red flags to watch out for. None of us knew any of that. And um, even
1: going beyond, even going yeah. beyond that though, it just we we, we kind of get um, we get anesthetized to what we do. I mean it's it's we do it all the time, it's no big deal. Mm. Okay? So we we kind of it, it's a routine. Like like surgeons operate on people all the time. It's no big deal, but when they explain to the patient, I'm going to I'm going to slice open your chest and I'm going to massage your heart and mm. crack your ribs. It's like Oh my God! You know that, yeah. but to the doctors, like I do all the time, it's no big deal. Yeah, same thing with us. We do. We 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 are comfortable with our jobs. So. So, and I won't call it a, a critical event. I'll say it's a, it, it's a, a harrowing call. Okay, it's a it, it's a you know it's, it's something that out of the ordinary. Yeah, a, and and but to you, it's like it's it's just no big deal. But when your family hears about it, to them, it is a big deal because they don't deal with it all the time. So we don't understand that that that. Although it's no big deal to us because it was no big deal. It's just another day in paradise for us, for our family. It's like, oh, my God, you did what? Mm. And you kind of, like, blow them off because it's no big deal. Mm. But to your wife or to your kids, well, daddy or my husband was involved in something pretty serious. And and, and I'm concerned for your safety, for for your welfare. My point is we don't, I don't think that we understand when we go to work what our family's going through at home. They don't realize we don't understand uh, the, the apprehension that they may have. We don't understand uh, the concerns that they have for our safety, because I mean we, we we have our gun, we have our vest on, we have our training, we have our partners. We feel perfectly safe and secure in what we're doing, um, but they they worry, and, yeah. and, and I think and I think I think sometimes we we are blind to their concerns as far as our own safety, and, yeah. and, and we and we. And and I don't want to say we and, and we, we don't give it enough attention to express to them what we're doing, and and why we do it and how safe we are. Um, my point is we don't we don't talk about our job enough. And I know I, I'm probably the most guilty person of all of doing that because mm. I always kept it in. All right, yeah. but I think we need to share more with our families about our job. Now they say you know don't bring it home with you. You had to, to be home with you because they know what's going on to some degree, and they and they want you to share, so they know that everything's okay. Yeah. Well, so how we do? You, share.
2: But how do you think that they know? Well, the the guy is coming home and he's drinking more, right? Mm-hmm. And it, they it, they might they might not know or, or know what is going on at work, but they certainly know what uh, the behavioral changes well, they, they, are happening they, at home.
1: They know that, but they also, you know? they, they may read the next day in the paper about some arrest you made, or yeah. they may have a police scan that's on the radio or the scanner, or, or they may be watching on the news that, that you have this, this big shooting at the, at the social plaza or, or wherever it may be. yeah, and and, and, and and so they'll watch the news and they know you are there. Yeah. And they know that you're potentially in danger. Yeah. Well, you're not because you're, you're safe as a bug and a rug. Mm-hmm. But they don't know that. So you come home after the end of the, end of the day and it's like, what happened? Yeah. There's nothing, don't, don't worry about no big deal. Yep. You blow them off and they don't, you, you can't blow the family off. about That's what I'm saying. You can't, you, you have to share more with your family than what we do, I think. Yeah. We can't blow them off.
0: I think that's very true, Chief. I also, I really like the analogy uh, that you used about how we become anesthetized to, to the job. Um, the other thing that, that I think occurs is uh, we have to maintain some false beliefs, right? Because we're actually not safe, and we know that because we see the injuries that happen and, and things like that. So for reasons that make sense and to our benefit and to the benefit of, of, of the Korea, I mean, we're as safe as we can be, right? right? Exactly, um, For sure, and, and a lot of effort goes into that, and there is a high level of safety. However, we know, and that's what causes those chemical releases of you know cortisol and dopamine and everything else, and something really happens and uh it's to our benefit in terms of of our duty performance to uh you could call it courage and, and a lot of other things these are i believe admirable traits and and sometimes within that space of our soul that's where we begin to suffer and then we go home we might become cynical we might become we we might begin drinking more there's so many different ways that it comes out of us and and more often than than not we're unwitting about it. I'll speak about my own experience. I was, right? When my behavior started to change, these were responses. I didn't know what I was responding to. I didn't know that I had to go talk to somebody. I, you know, I I knew what I knew. When that happens, I think that our family suffers from that because we stop being the person that, you know, that, that person that, that had those reasons that was called to service, that wanted to protect and serve and, you know, be the bravest or the finest. And, um, yeah, interesting yeah. conversation. Yeah.
2: Linda, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah. personally, I, I always have one. Joe wants to chime in there first, though.
4: <coughs> Just want to say on the, on the, when my brother-in-law was killed, um, the, the one good thing that came with the, the people that helped the families, uh, they actually came out to the house. They spoke to the kids, mm. spoke to my kids, spoke to my wife. Um, so it was a good initial um, <clears throat> response. Mm. Um, but I, I, I think what what it happened was is that the, the follow-up was missing. <laughs> and, and I think, um, it, you know, in my case, and, and again, you're right, you, you – You know, I've always been the one that internalized everything, right? I don't – I'll put it aside. I'll deal with it later. Yeah, and I think that's what kind of hurt me and my insides Mm. um, and caused a lot of the other issues that I I have right now. But Mm. it's – but the problem is this, all right? We really need to embed this in our agencies, not just like they're there and available. We have to make it so it's there for them and they're required to attend these things. That's, that's the only way this thing works. Because 30 years from now, if you don't get any help, you're not going to be good and you're not going to last long. No. Because you're, you're going to be. Correct. So if you get it along the way, I think it's the only way that you survive at the end.
2: Yeah, Uh, I 100% agree with you that to make it normal within those agencies. So having said, I want to follow up with that with you. If you had an opportunity to um, be involved in decision-making as far as that type of implementation Mm -hmm. is concerned and you didn't have a budget Mm -hmm. issue, right, and budget wasn't the issue because a lot of times it's money, right, budget stuff, right, um, goes on. And... So if you didn't have a budget and this was a priority of you mm-hmm. as making in, in as part of the decision making what would you do
4: Well i think we talked about the SISM teams uh, and we talked about different teams that will come in to help us yeah. and i think if you, we worked with them in it, you know across the state have certain teams available that will come in at designated times and sit down with every officer Look over their performance records. Look mm. over their discipline records and mm. see what... Look who's taking
2: time off <coughs> frequently.
5: Correct.
4: Mm. Um, I, I think that's a start, um, but honestly, we, my personal belief is we need trained professionals doing it. Mm. Um, without that, I, I don't... This succeeds. Um, there has to be a budget involved. Um, for that, right? Yeah, for that reason. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's a reality. Just like we need we have clinicians now that work with police agencies that assist us with calls, right? So why not have the clinicians to work with our own offices, mm. all right? So it's no different. Yep. Um, it should be part of our lives as mm. a professional.
5: Working. Yes,
2: absolutely. Again, it just reinforces what I said earlier on, Joe, uh, Captain, is that, you know, you're in a duty trauma job, right? And it's stressful, Extremely stressful You're exposed to it every single day And if I, I'm just putting it out there To like the civilians just like me If we just Get this picture in your head of If I was walking across the street And there was a car accident And I saw a A, a dead body In a car and there was blood All over the place and the whole thing I don't think I would be the same With one incident I would be I would be different and I would have to I don't know how I'd be able to react because I haven't had that experience but I imagine I would be a very different person, I would be changed from that point on and I would probably need to seek help for that because that would be horrific for the normal civilian person and here are you guys every day out on the job and multiple times a day, multiple fires, multiple you know, multiple trauma every day, Right? how can we expect in, in agencies not to have, after a call, that someone is not speaking with a clinician afterwards, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It should be normal every day. Correct. I believe yeah. in that.
4: And, and you mentioned a good thing. The, the average citizen doesn't see what we see.
2: No, we don't. And
4: fire, police, EMS, we see the bad uh, every Mm-hmm. And just think about it. Every single day, call after call after call, you see a lot of bad. Mm. What do you think that does to your insides? Yes. Now you mentioned the car fire. I remember an officer, when I was first on the job, um, there was a person in a parking lot that lit themselves on fire in a car, and the officer responded, tried to get the person out, but it was so badly engulfed, couldn't get him out. Mm. You know, in the fire department, I, I don't know how you guys do your job. Honestly, I, I commend you guys because I don't like fire. I'd rather take a shot, you know, than deal with fire. I, d- I don't yeah, like it at all.
3: Do. We don't like it either, but <laughs> you got
4: to do it. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, that officer, you know, back, you know, Russ talked about where we were a long time ago. Mm. Uh, this was a long time ago. We didn't have these organizations that we can call in to help. Mm. And I remember <laughs> the supervisor put him back out in the road Dealing with another call, and I'm like, oh, that shouldn't be. He needs to go home. He, mm. he needs to get himself together.
2: Mm. You know, even, I, even back then, I, you even, said that. Uh,
4: yeah, I'm like, you can't have that. He's not ready to go back on that road. Yeah, and I don't know how he did it. Yeah, I go. That's not something that should be done.
2: Yeah, and and that's a, a huge point of of bringing up, like a police officer, you know, going to a bad call. He's still on his shift. Guess what? He has to go sit his cruiser and wait for another call to come in. And while processing what's just after happening. And and he's sitting by himself in the cruiser and going through all of that over and over and over and over again until he goes home, until his shift is over. Probably praying not to have another call, not to come in. You know what I mean? So that he doesn't have to answer it. And like fire, you know, fire guys go home, go back to the, to the station and you, you might sit around the kitchen table and you might have that, what we talked about, like that gallows humor, right? Um, and that's a way of coping, right? Getting through that situation. You know, I've learned so much doing this podcast from all of you guys coming in and uh, sharing all that with us, but going out and joking and being able to do that. And it might seem so cynical, right, uh, to a civilian or like to myself to say, I could even talk about that. But it's how you, what you do to to be effective to get through the next till the next call right so having said that you said you know how are we going to get through this long career being healthy as you said trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma every day day in day out day in day out and then expect to be healthy if you're not processing it of just someone not walking you through it hey if you are feeling this way this is normal um so let 's talk about it like get get unload all of this, and sometimes it might not even be to go to a therapist or to go somewhere to get help right It just might just mean unloading getting it off your chest, right just unloading it, knowing that you 're not alone right that there's all of you are going through the same stuff and it 's not a if you're gonna have trauma symptoms yourself experience it's just it 's when. It's not if, it's when. You're in a trauma job, and and that's it. So, having said that, the three of you are retired, right? And let's get into that a little bit, as far as when you were retiring, each of you were retiring, think back, and maybe, like, as you said, I mean, Joe, I thought I heard you a little bit, you know, I knew I was coming to the end of my latter years, right? And I knew I want to retire at a certain age, um, were you prepared for it? Were you prepared, you know, what's coming next? Were you prepared for financially? Were you prepared mentally, physically for retirement?
4: Well, I think first and foremost is you got to be mentally ready to retire. Um, yeah. But like I said, I knew at 55 I wanted to be gone. Mm-hmm. I knew, I told my family that. There was no reason for me to stay. You know, doing 33 and a half years, I knew... What I wanted to be, I wanted to be out, I wanted to do something differently. Um, So I prepared myself for that. Mm. I will tell you that it was a huge adjustment Mm. uh, for about eight months to a year. It took me that time to not worry about, you know, the guys on the job, or you listen to the radio, and (laughs) they're like, oh, they should be doing this, or you'll drive by a call, should I pull over and help them? So it took me a good year just to separate from that mindset. Um, but I tell you, I love retirement every single day. Um, I get to get up, go for a walk with my dog, have my coffee in peace. Mm. Uh, I have a job part-time that I work. I do some consultant work on the side. I couldn't be happier. Yeah. You know, I love it.
2: So were you, were you, um, did you end up taking, I know you said you go walking with your dog, did you end up taking up any hobbies? Like, what do you feel that was ex- has been extremely helpful for you, in retirement. So
3: I've
4: always been an avid golfer. So that was something I got to do a little bit more. Um, still not as much as I want. Because, yeah. you know, I still work part-time yeah. from my house. But, you know, you need finances to golf. So, you know, you need the extra cash.
2: That's or, right. You know, so instead <laughs> what do you golf- mean? You're in retirement, you don't get free hey, golf? Well, no, there's no
4: free <laughs> golf anyways. I would never take free golf. So <laughs> what, do you like, what are you guys laughing about?
2: <laughs> That's the truth. Because you made made a little, like, gesture with your eyes. There's no gesture. (laughs) You never take anything free.
4: Um, Really? (laughs) So, (laughs) she's holding up a cup of coffee I just (laughs) drank. So, no, honestly, I was prepared for it. I enjoy it. My family couldn't be more happier. Um, You know, there are goals that you still want to set, you want to do. You know, I wanted to be more active and walking. Uh, I started getting into cycling, so Mm. I'm getting more into that. I'm doing a... 300-mile journey in, in May with the Police Unity Tour. Um, riding in memory of my brother-in-law, uh, Mike Davey, and K-9 Kit from Braintree. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that journey with my wife, who's doing it with me. So yeah,
2: 300 miles?
4: 300 miles in four days. So I'm wow. looking forward to that. I'm going to training with that. But, you know, it's something I get to do with my wife, which I enjoy. Yeah. You know what I mean? We go out to rides together. So I get to spend more family time with her. Yeah. Um, something, you know, I didn't my early part of my career, you know, where we had the kids, I worked, 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 wasn't home all the time. So now I get to enjoy it. And, uh, good I, for you. I knew where I want to be uh, at age 55. So Yeah,
2: yeah. Sounds like you had a good plan. Yeah, yeah you, knew what, you knew what you wanted to do. I
4: think so, and I still come here to have coffee, so.
5: <laughs>
2: Thanks for that little plug. <laughs> Joe, how about yourself?
3: Yeah, I, I knew, you know, the law was that you had to retire at 65. I got in the chief's position the last year, year and a half of my career and I did some time in there before. Yeah, The chief went out and I was like you go in there. Yeah. So I was in there uh, after a year, year and a half I said I want to go. Yeah. And 65 was coming up. I said this is perfect.
2: Perfect. And what did you, were you prepared for it? So you said yeah, I want to go.
3: I knew I, I was going and I had some Little things on the side that I wanted to do. Uh, I never got a chance to really enjoy the... I belonged to the Holbrook Sportsman's Club, mm. and I wanted to get down there to shoot trap. And while I was working on the fire department, I was involved with this, involved with that, and mm. I couldn't even get down there for mm. the time. I had to go, plus going to school nights, in Massasoit, and, and other courses. Mm. Uh, I I... I needed time to do things I want. I had a little place in New Hampshire. I went up. I can go up there in the week. I don't have to wait in the weekends and things. Yeah. So uh, I get involved with that. Yeah. Except for the damn traffic going up and back.
5: Yeah, up.
2: that's a nuisance, isn't it? But and I and I know you're a keen gardener too, like vegetable uh, gardener, mister yeah. Joe. Yeah. Are you still doing gardening?
3: Well, the uh, <laughs> the rodents come and get my garden, and then some type of a. disease come in and killed them mm. the tomatoes and everything else mm. three years in a row and i said that's it no more
2: not done oh because i remember you used to bring me in zucchini and all sorts of stuff uh, if you remember I that
3: a, i think somebody poisoned the air or something there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well maybe you'll have a better look this year yeah, right know, yeah. with covid and everything that's all happening i think that like a lot you know picking up have those hobbies gardening is a therapy for me um, it always has I'm been.
3: going out of the farmer's market and buy a fresh tomato. And a
2: fresh fresh tomato. tomato. You're not going to have all the stress of the gardening now. Yep. <laughs> Chief, Chief Jenkins, how about yourself? Um, like with retirement and stuff like that, were you prepared for retirement? Like, did you plan it? Were you, were you getting into it like that? Where I'm, I'm going to start phasing out now and what am I going to do with
1: myself? I was after? a little apprehensive about it. Yeah. I, I was, when I was working, I was going 90 miles an hour. Yeah. I was on fire all the time. I was going from this to that. I was very very busy. Yeah. Um on top of being the chief, I was involved with Metrolec as well. So, yeah. I had a lot going on. And so I'm thinking what am I going to do? I mean, I'm going this fast now I'm going to go from 90 to 0 tomorrow, you know. Yes. But I w- I was surprised at how uh much my time was filled up. At, at the time of my retirement, I had Younger and children, my wife uh, spent a lot of time took care a lot. And, um, I watched them all. My older boy and daughter were working. Well, not my daughter. My my two boys were working. Yeah. So, um, she was busy with the grandkids, and I tried to be busy with them as well. Uh, so they kept me going, kept me busy. Uh, all like Joe, I had a I have a part time job going on as well. So mm. I, I keep just busy enough to um, uh, stay busy, stay active. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was I was pleasantly surprised at how uh, my time was filled up during the day. Um, I took on some house chores. Um, I found out where the deli is at Stop and Shop, which I never knew before. Yeah. They have a deli there, by the way. Um, so I found out <laughs> where, the, where they keep the milk and the and the ice cream and the, yeah. and, 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 and the bread. <laughs> the important things, um, right? And and the, the ice cream. So, so I, <laughs> I found out at the market. So um, I did a few of those things. So I kept busy, and, and I still keep busy now. My, my grandkids are all a little bit grown now. They're almost all in school full-time. As I, as I said, uh, my wife's going back to work in a couple of weeks. My daughter has her baby, so we're busy again, I hope, a little bit with that baby. So that'll be another another um, a challenge for me to uh, keep busy with, Yeah. as well as, again, what I'm doing part-time and, and whatnot. So, yeah. again, I was happy apprehensive at first, but I was, I was shocked at, at how much my time was filled up. Yeah. So yeah, keeping it, keeping yourself busy, it, it's all good. But like like Joe, m- more time with family, it is great. I mean, I, I I thoroughly enjoy my retirement. You know, everyone says when you retire, they they, they say, uh, you know, I don't miss the job at all, but I miss the guys. You know, I do, I, yeah. I, I, well, I see the guys. I, I I go to lunch on Thursday with some guys that are retired uh, through my through the work that I do. I'm, I'm working with police officers uh, with my part time work, so I still see the guys that I I, I was. Working with in the, when I was working, yes, um, I I try to be involved with you know like promotion ceremonies and that sort of thing at the department. So I try to um, make an appearance now and then at the department to 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 celebrate their milestones with again new promotion, yeah, new office uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, so I don't have the problems. But I still have the friendships, which is nice.
2: I like that. I love that a lot. The, I was t- telling you off air that there was um, yeah, Chief Kennedy over in Quincy PD, the new, a new police chief, and very, very involved with mental health right, in, in, his, in his department and uh, very, very involved. Open door, wants to make sure that his men and women are taken care of um, when they need it. Um, but one of the things he talked about was retirement, and and they 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 want to start the program over there to be able to um, support, you know, officers um, who are you know going starting to you know graduate into into retirement, and uh, they want to start something over there so they can support them, and uh, they one of the um, guys that was was with him right, um, Bill Ward right. Um, Lieutenant Ward um, over in Quincy he had said that like he he talked to one of the retirees um, who, who had just retired and he started struggling a little bit and he, he said how are you doing and he said you know what I I I miss the circus but I don't miss the clowns and um, and he said, you know I, we can go out on details we can still do details but it's not the same because I'm retired and that's sort of how they, you get treated right is um you're tired now, you know what I mean, and uh, so he says we want to, we really want to put a program in and, and help them with that, and uh, that's a, a great thing to be able to do, right, for folks who really are struggling with the identity. I mean, putting down that badge and your gun and your uniform for like all those hundred and five plus years from three of you—that's like a huge part of your identity, right—that um, you you gave. To serving the community and your department for for many 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 years, and uh, and I just want to thank you all for your service, um, for all that you gave, for all that you still do, and um and I think that, um, our community in Weymouth here and Braintree, is a better place for having you on it. Although I will have to say something here that when I met Captain Compercio for the first time, eh, he's 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 not nowhere saying, "Oh, here she goes at me." But when I when I uh, first of all Captain Comperchio comes into the cafe every Saturday with mom, and um, and we give each other shit back and forth off across the counter, I can say that. Right. Um, so we do. We give each other and we shit across the counter and we go back and forth at it. And I put flour all over his gorgeous clean. Yuppie jacket that he wears And yeah, the whole type too, of thing yeah. I put yep. flour all. I'm not afraid to put flour all over him And um, So anyway But when I met him first um, He was putting in an order For whatever Some meeting in the police department And he comes in And he said Hey And he talked in this Very like military tone uh, At me And I was like Whoa! I like I jumped And I was writing down the order And I was like Making sure you take down the date right And the whole thing And I was like you know, my, my first time sort of interacting with him, and I was like, oh, my God, he's, like, not really approachable. But very soon I learned that he was. Yeah,
4: I'm a little bit of a ball buster.
2: You are. Yeah. You are. But he's really the teddy yeah. bear underneath am, all of that. So that, yeah.
4: that's where the, you know, turning of the hat, and I got that yes. that stoic face, but yeah. I can give it back really
2: well. Oh, and so can I. should you've learned, so yeah. can I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very soon, but it was you know like. What? It's, all, it's all in fun. It is all you in know? fun. Yes, you know? yes. We've become good friends for sure um, over the years. Um,
4: Can I just make a one point? that yes. I want to say something. Um, I'm truly grateful um, for being retired. And, um, you know, Joe Davison next to me, I worked with him uh, many a times. And I, I, I can't commend the fire department enough uh, working with them over the career. They've always been there for us. We had. A really good bond, I think, um, between the police and fire. That's something that you don't see in a lot of agencies, uh, but we work mm. together as a team. I, I, I couldn't be happier working with another agency in a in community that we work so well together, you know, and yeah. it, it becomes second nature. And, and that's the way it should be. Yeah, You know, we work as a team. Um, but I do want to say um, I want to thank the community, um, for allowing me to be uh, an officer in the uh, community. Um, I loved being here. Um, I loved uh, how um, they supported the Chesna family over Mm. the past six years, and um, I appreciate everything they've done for the family. And I just want to say thank you to the community for uh, doing that
2: for us. Oh, thank you for taking that time to do that. Well, we we just want to thank you guys for coming in and giving your time. To share your journey as police officers, firefighters, taking us through the road of what you you know came into right as as going up in the ranks as as uh, the roles that you played, being supervisors, running departments and um, and just serving the community in the best way that you you knew how to and uh, we'll be forever grateful. So thank you, thank gentlemen you. for coming in tonight. Thank you, you. Till next time.
0: We enjoyed listening to the insight of three wonderful retired first responders. They took us back to their early days, from the academy to those first days and weeks on the job. They shared with us those calls that stuck with them over the years. They also gave us their perspective on what would help make it easier for a first responder to seek help before it gets to a place of crisis. They urge first responders to seek help when needed and... As Captain Compercio says, don't be embarrassed. Unloading that backpack is necessary. These men mention having to adjust to retirement, that it can take a year or more to settle into a new routine, and that having hobbies or activities to keep you busy will help with the transition. If You are a first responder who's struggling now. Or, if you're concerned for a loved one, you can call one of the Hope Lines will guide you to resources that can help those numbers are 781-817-3357 or 617-657-9108 be sure to take a look at our facebook pages for more good information on upcoming events
2: till next time till next time